0: and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates, High Returns podcast. I'm Pete Warden. Um, I'm here with Stephen Moriarty. There you go. Got it right. (laughs) Welcome, Steve. I'm really well, thanks. So today we're going to talk about industry and sectors and how you can build a model to invest in sectors. So I think I've done a lot of investing in real estate over the years and decades now, sadly, getting old. And um, one of the things you see in every cycle is uh, when you start seeing all the cranes go up, Uh, i've seen it in london enough times over the years and then people start talking about the cranes of death because you know that once all the cranes are going up all over the city that's usually an indication that the peak of the cycle is coming Uh, because all of that new supply eventually um, you get uh, millions of uh, pounds or dollars of investment being poured into the sector there's uh, you know office towers going up and there's Apartments going up in in unlikely places on busy roads, and then eventually the market just gets swamped. And yep. over, but you often find that then within a few years there are opportunities then to buy, you know, nearly new properties um, at a, a lower price because the market has essentially got oversupplied, and then the opportunities come around to benefit from all that capital that was poured into infrastructure and property and development in the years that went before. And I guess it's a little bit like that in uh, capital cycles within industries and sectors as well. So we see those cycles going around and around.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a, um, a really great book out called uh, Capital Returns by Edward Chancellor, and he explained the uh, capital cycle theory. And it was really, uh, really quite simple, which was the best time to invest is when the capital cycle is done and dusted. So as you were saying, the worst time to invest is when there's heaps of cranes in the sky. The best time to invest is maybe, you know, 12 or 24 or 36 months after the cranes have gone when the supplier has met the demand. Um, and he goes through to explain it in the book. But essentially, it's it's a pretty simple idea, which is, and again, the cycle is quite simple, which is on the upside, which is what everybody likes because that's where the growth is. You know, like property's booming, let's all jump into property Uh, or stocks or companies. And so that's that's what people do, but then they get caught on the downside. Again, talking about market cycles in a a simple way. And you can do that with, like you said, property. You can do it with, you know, consumer discretionaries or in energy, you know, like there's various sectors that are always out of favour. That's where you want to look. Yeah, so you get all
0: these themes that come around uh, so years ago there was you know, green energy, and yeah, yeah. renewables and then solar panels. But I guess the, the problem is if you pile into an industry or a sector when everybody's talking about it, you're almost certainly going to be you uh, paying a premium yeah. and you've missed yeah you've missed the the opportunity. Yeah. I think uh, you know if you're looking to invest in industries or sectors, it's actually much harder in some ways uh, to be contrarian. And invest In what is not popular. Uh, but if you look at um, you know some of those books over the years, like uh, Seagull, for example, and they, yep. they've basically shown that uh, you know by if you invest in technology, you know at the peak of the cycle, and everybody's in, you know, talking about the new technology, and you know you can pick some of the great companies, you know, some of the greatest companies in history. But if you pay top dollar for them, they, they can end up being rotten investments, and you'd have done much better investing in you know the simple stuff like yeah out of favor stuff ExxonMobil yeah, or something yeah. that was less in favor at that time not because there, there was any dynamism there or there's better companies simply because you just didn't pay too much for it
1: yeah we, we talked about in the previous podcast is we talked about simplicity you know try to keep it simple and have a simple model and we predominantly talked about the market itself and a sort of the the philosophy behind simplicity so to speak. In reality, you can do that, you know, if people say, well, what's an example? You can do that simply by looking at sectors that are out of favour, and these days it's beneficial because you can do it with ETFs, uh, particularly in the US, because they've got a big enough economy to have lots of different sectors, more so than Australia, and at the moment, 2020, you know, energy's been pretty cheap, has been for a while. It's now having, uh, you know, the other day I saw Chesapeake Energy has gone bankrupt. Shale oilers are now starting to go bankrupt, which is going to reduce supply. And eventually demand will come back or supply will come back to meet demand. That's when you want to start investing in oil. Now, you can be like me and get in early um, and maybe go down a bit. You can rebalance and do that. But my main point is, you know, I'm not an expert on the energy sector. Quite frankly, I'm not an expert on any sector. But if you've got if you've got an an investment opportunity that again is based on simplicity, which is, for example, there's industry cape ratios. All right, I'll pick the cheapest three and you know, I'll put some money into those, because that's going to be a lot more beneficial than as you pointed out before, is trying to buy at the top of the property market or the top of the cycle in any sector. And so it's a little bit of an issue about timing, but it's also basically again just keeping it really simple by saying I buy the cheap sectors. That's it. That's all I do. It's no more complex. I don't I don't favor the IT sector over the information uh, over consumer discretionaries or real estate. I don't make subjective judgments as to energy's awful. Well, yeah, because there's so much, you know, blah, blah, blah listen, these are the bottom three or the bottom four, whichever, whichever you like, and then just simply invest in them in an asset allo- with a sensible asset allocation. Systematic approach. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: focusing on the numbers, not the stories. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, energy, if you went back, um, you know, 15 years ago, all of those energy companies, the, the biggest market caps and the very popular, energy had six great years followed by six terrible years Yeah. Now, and, of course you know the narrative now is you know energy you know oil you know all these sort of negative stories uh, but of course now relatively speaking much cheaper and as you touched on there a really important point if you went back to you know ben graham's day or decades ago you would have had to go around saying right do i buy shares in yeah you know, yeah t- today you would be looking at it saying well do i buy bp or shell or ExxonMobil, schlumberger you know you, um, you don't need to overthink it these days because you yeah. can simply buy an ETF that maybe earns the top 100 companies in the sector problem solved yep. and of course uh, some of those as you mentioned some of the um, companies within the sector will drop out uh, but that in itself is actually um, will become in time supportive of the oil price and of you know the energy sector more broadly six bad years will Um, will eventually be followed by better returns. Yeah,
1: you can use – sorry, just before you go on, you can use that with styles as well, which is, you know, value and growth. I use the sector strategy and I use styles as well. And I really like them simply because they – historically it's worked. I've done the back testing, and I'm I'm living proof of using it and it works – And it simply says, in my mind, it's always so much easier if I buy a small cap value ETF, right, in the US market, rather than say, I'm trying to pick a small cap value company, because that's not my forte. I'll admit that straight up. Now, there are people who are really good at it, and that's fantastic. But to me, it's really simple for most of us just to say, look, that's cheap, I'll buy it. And put your head on the pillow, knowing that there might be a period of underperformance, but it's a lot less worrying than it is about having a company that continues to underperform. You know, I always get nervous when it's a bit like, ah, uh, it's continuing to underperform. Yeah, well, you start maybe. doubting
0: yourself. Oh, you know, maybe their debt's a problem. Yeah, maybe yeah. A... What
1: what don't I know that you know yeah. might be the issue? And you might be wrong, but it just feels more comfortable if you're a a sort of simple investor that says, listen, I just want to, you know, rebalance every six months or, you know, 12 months or something. Yeah.
0: Well, you already already said, you know, uh, I got into energy earlier in the year. It carried on falling for a bit, but I thought, well, you just look at it and say, well, are the top 120 companies uh, in the world in energy going to go under? Probably not. Probably not. You know, I can probably feed a bit more in. And there's a lot of peace of mind In that approach, so it's almost like a rolling sectoral rebalance model. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you you buy the cheapies. uh, You don't focus too much on the stories. You just look at the numbers and when they're they're no longer cheap, uh, peel some off.
1: Yeah, it's like the Ben Graham strategy we talked about in a few podcasts beforehand, you know, where Ben Graham basically said, look, just buy the cheap companies, buy 30 of them, five will go broke, uh, 10 won't do much, but 15 will really kill it and that'll make up. And it's the same with the sector stuff where you can say just buy the cheap ones. And the benefit I also I say to people is, look, you can buy them and turn them over every 12 months. If they're still cheap, put some more money in. Why? Well, because we know they're probably going to mean revert. Now, people will rightly say, oh, yeah, but energy had, you know, a really bad six years. But go and have a look at the return in 2016. The ETF from I think it's 2.12 to 15, don't hold me to it, was pretty bad. But in 2016, it jumped about, I think, 30-odd percent. So that's when you'd say, right, now it's time to get out and look at another cheapie. So what I'm saying is the what I found over my investing career is with companies, it's it's just always a bit, you know, you hear, oh, I sold out too early, you know, oh, I sold out too late or I didn't buy early or I didn't buy late, whereas I've always found with, with the sector stuff, that it's a lot easier because, you know, yeah, you sort of get, you might get some regret where you go, oh, and the next year it went up. But you'll also find that if you hold it long enough, it's going to go down. That's how they get the average return, you know, and if you sell on the up, you're doing it properly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And as you said,
0: there's a lot more peace of mind, you know. If you're dealing in individual companies, it can be done, uh, and uh, was it Dave Draymond as well who took a, yeah, a yeah. similar approach? Well, yep. let's, let's find some of those low low PE companies from each sector. Yep. But these days you don't have to. You can simply buy the ETF and uh, a lot more. Well, it's just a very simple approach, essentially. Buy the cheap ones and when they're no longer cheap, take a profit and thanks very
1: much. And put them into the next cheap one. Now, one what?
0: of um, your favourite books, Jeffrey West. You know, he's written on scale. Yes. and uh, Now, we've got no way got enough time to go through this. <laughs> some of the stuff that he covers in that book on... Uh, in the beginning. Yeah, biology and demographics yeah, and yeah. population. Uh, some of the interesting things, though, that he, he discovered in, in that book and in other writings is that, you know, companies often have a half-life of something like 10 years or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So, in other words every decade, you're seeing a lot of the companies that you think, oh, these are companies that will be around for a long time, but they, they just drop they out. They find out, yeah. 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 And you, It's amazing when you look back at um, stock market capitalizations from 10, 20, 30 years ago and you think, shit, where did all those
1: companies come? Well, we talked about this last week on the coaching call when you went back and looked at the nifty 50. You know, Kodak, Xerox, names to me were like, my God, you know they've all they've all gone. Yeah, well, if you went down to Pic- Piccadilly Circus,
0: you know that you know it was all it was Japanese yeah, yeah, technology yeah. companies, yep, bang, yep. bang bang bang, uh, and then you think, well, those couldn't possibly fade out. But as as West has shown, over a hundred years, very few companies actually lost the pace. And, uh, I guess that's a big argument in favour of the ETF approach. Yes, uh, because even. I think you, you could pick a great company, but who knows what might happen over 10, 20 years.
1: Well, with the, one of the other uh, models I should talk about is uh, one divided by N model. It came from a guy called uh, Gerd Giggenrenzer, who writes books about risk. Um, Google that and uh, you'll find it. But he had this model, and I find this really attractive, which is he said, Basically, if there's twenty investment opportunities, then you should put equal amount into all of them, right? So five percent in all of them. And I'm going to bastardize this, sorry, but the important part is what he said. What with sectors, what you can do is you can say there's eleven sectors, okay? And let's let's say there's ten. Let me make it simple. There's ten sectors, righto? How much you got? Hundred thousand, righto? I'll tell you what to do. Put ten thousand in each of them, and then the ones who win take the profit out of those and put them into the one that loses, you rebalance at an annual basis. You never really sell one of the sectors, right? What you do is you just keep pruning off the profit and put it into the losers. Why? Because rule number one in investing is things mean revert. You can see that in the sector quilt where the returns or energy are great, then they're not so great. But when they're not performing, you're in consumer discretionary, which is performing, and then when it's not performing, you're in energy. So you've got this sort of perpetual portfolio that you and I talk about in our Well Three strategy. And the idea is, you just keep pruning. You're pruning roses. You take the roses, the new ones grow. You do that. You know. So it's a really, again, a really simple industry uh, model that you can use in industry, or you can use in in sectors. And so my my overall point is there are actually really simple investment strategies out there that are really, really effective. And it doesn't involve trying to pick an individual stock, which I think when you talk to investors or, you know, people who talk about investing, they go, oh, you know, they talk about companies and stuff. And it's not about that at all. You know, there's some really simple stuff about investing models that really, really work. You know, Draymond, you mentioned before, was one of them where he said, you know, go to the really awful industries, buy the best company. Bingo, you know.
0: It's also in real time, it can be quite hard for people, you know, for example, um, tech companies, you know, they go well for a few few years, three, four, five yep. years and people think, well, the future is technology. But as Siegel has shown, uh, particularly if you get him drawn into investing in the new technologies at the peak of the cycle, yep. you'll actually do worse than... You know, if you'd have simply uh, invested in the sort of dinosaur
1: type, yeah, utilities and, you know, staples and stuff like that,
0: not because they were better companies or better, you know, better sectors, simply because you just paid a good price, and got a good dividend and got a stable return, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think we mentioned that before. You have a look at Buffett's portfolio; most of it is in consumer staples. You know, stuff that just every year solid cash flow. You know, and the trick that Buffett does is he buys it when they're cheap. You know, he's got financials and stuff, but again, what you see is he buys them at market lows when the sectors are cheap, right? You know, and I don't think that's talked enough about Buffett. You know, it's, it's, he, a lot of the stuff is timing and Kelly stuff, but it's also Buffett saying, even recently, Buffett, uh, recently now being maybe 12 months ago, he bought Occidental. You know, and put 10 million, 10 billion, 10 billion, I think, into Oxy.
0: Yeah, a um, 8% return, I think. Yeah. Preferred and stuff.
1: Why? Because the oil sector's cheap. You know, that That to me is more of a flag than talking about, in particular, about Oxy. It's much easier to go, well, just buy the whole sector. I'm not Warren Buffett. Yeah.
0: You Problem know, but, and,
1: and is energy cheap? Yep. Industry capes cheap. Okay makes sense, and put some money in from there.
0: I think he was buying Suncor as well in the same sector, yeah. right? in the energy sector. So we talked uh, right back in the beginning there, I talked about uh, property and the cranes of death. And I remember a few years ago when Australian property was coming to the peak of the cycle and there was a guy from, uh, an American guy, John Tepper, and he uh, teamed up with John Hempton from Bronte Capital. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. I think he was on 60 Minutes <coughs> or one of those shows and they, they posed as a gay couple, went out to the western suburbs of Sydney. They were sort of saying, oh, you know, can we get a mortgage? Can we invest in property? Essentially to show, you know, just the sheer frothiness yep. at the peak of the cycle. And uh, as Tepper was saying at the time, it's the immutable laws of supply and demand. You know, yep. you get at the time, you know, the market was red hot. Nobody could envisage a time when demand for property wouldn't be as high. But as he said, you know, look around you, there's construction all over the place you know, just as happens in, in every real estate cycle, be it in uh, the US or Spain, as uh, Tepper previously uh, predicted. See, a lot of the people in Australia at the time said, oh, you know, American guy, what would he know? You know, we always get these guys come over here. Yep. But I just thought to myself, well, um, he's he's actually based in London. Got a, a re- research firm that he founded called Variant Perception. He's a serial entrepreneur, but he had a, a double first from... An American University and another one from Oxford University. I thought, well, he probably knows something. <laughs> Seems like he's got an idea. Yeah, and he's um, yeah, very successful at what he does, but also previously predicted cycles accurately in Europe and so on. So anyway, I, I looked him up for a coffee and um, I just thought, rather than you know just critique people's ideas out of hand, let's go and learn what I can from him. And it was tremendously useful, I found, in terms of his understanding of real estate cycles and how you look at um, things like dwelling approvals as yep. leading indicators and things like that, and um, you know we we see a lot of these uh, similar trends in other industries. Now, now Tepper has actually written um, quite extensively on the myth of capitalism yep. and how um, capitalism without competition, in many ways, is not real. Not really capitalism. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, as I said, this guy's got a brain the size of a planet. Uh, but there's some. There's some. Pretty uh, useful takeaways there, and he's uh, shown that in a lot of industries, there's just one or two companies that effectively form oligopolies. Yeah, uh, which you know, or in some cases even monopolies.
1: Yeah, it's been happening over. He's sort of charted it about the last twenty to thirty odd years, and it's one of the reasons why I think Australia does really well in stock market returns, is because. We've got four banks, you know, Harvey Norman and JB Hi Fi, Kogan's in there a little bit. Rio well, Tinto and BHP. Yeah, <laughs> with Fortescue's a little bit. You've yeah. got Woolworths and Coles with Aldi with a little bit, you know. So you've got realestate.com and domain. You've got all these companies that are basically got a, a stranglehold on the market. You know, sometimes that's where you want to be looking. The timing part of it is really sort of critical about when you get into these companies and, and sectors. And this is the thing that I always sort of say to people, and it took me a little while to get it, was you can't just be incessantly bloody bullish all the time. You know, like, and this was what you we were saying before in previous episodes about John uh, James Montier. You know, he, you see this where 95% of companies are a buy, you know, permanently. They just, you know, it doesn't matter what the market cycle is. They're either buy because they're going to do better, growth, or they're buy because they're value. You know, so it's a bit like, well, hang on, doesn't it depend on, you know, when you buy and when you want to sell? You want to look at the the experience that Tepper and uh, Hempton bring is a, is is basically just saying, look, we know the model. Right, we know the we've got the experience. We've lived through the cycle, and the same thing happens in stocks with as as happens in real estate. Oh yeah, but you've got to think about population growth and land approvals and you know immigration levels and you know people are getting paid more and blah 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 blah. There's five hundred variables, and it's always bullish, and it's the same in stocks. Oh yeah, look. Um, you know, Uber doesn't make any money, but, you know, and it's a story, it's all fantastic, but it still doesn't make any money after 10 years, you know? And you look at that and say, look, on average, these companies fail. Now, Uber could succeed. I don't know. It may or may not. I don't know. But what I look at and go is, but it doesn't make it a good investment. Why? Because the model doesn't seem to work, and also when you look at the market cycles, you get to say this is the behaviour that happens at the top when everybody speculates on, you know, um, Uber and WeWork and uh, Beyond Meat and Impossible Food, you know, all this sort of stuff. And again, you don't – the important part is not getting lost in the, you know, oh, yeah, but the economy is different and this is different and that's different. It's really just the simplicity mm of three or four variables where you go retailers into the market, tick, you know, buying companies that are worth nothing, tick, um, you know, incessantly bullish, tick, you know, and it's like, right, and the market's expensive, tick, okay, you know. How much further do you need to dig?
0: Well, this is uh, Tepper's uh, report that he wrote for his um, subscription base and sophisticated investors. I I can't remember. It was maybe 30 pages, but a lot of it was simply that. You know, interest-only lending, tick. uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speculation, tick. Cranes everywhere, tick. uh, Easy mortgage lending, tick. And it... As you said, um, you could you could have a local expert saying, "Oh, yeah, but he's not taking into account this, this, and this." Yeah. But he doesn't but, live here, right? But, but the but the I suppose the point is that it does. You know, when you get, uh, as you said, it's like pencil spinning on its lead. Yep. It doesn't matter what flips it over, but things don't just grow to the sky. Yeah. Um, eventually, uh, one grain of sand too much, and something turns the cycle. Exactly the same in industries and sectors. A couple of things to wrap up on this. Um, one of the things in technology, it seems to be a, a volatile sector. So, that, so, does that make it a harder sector in some ways to compound returns? Because obviously, volatility, yep. uh, as we know in geometric returns, can be
1: detrimental to the geometric. Yeah, you can get it from the vol- what they call volatility drag. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And it's just simply, again, saying information technology. Is I I think really really hard to pick. Now I'm not an expert at it, so you know I can't really comment on that part of it. All I can comment on and say is, as a relatively you know inexperienced investor in information technology, when you look at the 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 basics of it, it's it's you're basically prince or pauper. You know you either pick Amazon or you don't. The the volatility is quite high because it goes in and out of favour. The easiest solution, though, is, again, what we were talking about earlier with the industry strategy is to go, when it's down, pick it, because it's probably going to go up. If it's up, sell it. Why? Because it's probably going to go down. There's the way to miss volatility drag, you know, over the long term. And, again, I think we talked about this in the last series, you know, where we said people are always like, oh, over 10 years, X did X and X did Y, you know. It's like, listen... I would rather buy and sell turkey five times over the last 15 years where I think, if I remember correctly, you made about 250%, rather than held turkey from go to woe, you made 1%. You know, tax me on that any day of the week.
0: Yeah, there's there's some really important takeaways there. So the the simplicity of simply buying the cheapest sectors and industries. Yep. You know, you you look at it and go, well, surely it can't be that simple. Well, yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> but I suppose you do have to be able to be contrarian and see beyond the stories and actually just look at the numbers. And I think from you know from Chancellor, you've got to say. The, when you look at um, industries and sectors, you've got to focus on not just the, um, the the demand but also the supply. Yeah, yeah. And that's what can knock over an industry or a sector. So just like Teppo with the cranes everywhere, he's saying, well, look, yeah, you know, there's lots of demand for property at the moment, but look at the supply. Yes. And it's exactly the same uh, or very similar in industries and sectors. Um, you know, there may be a lot of demand in a certain sector or industry, but if there's supply as well and that can trip you over. So hence the, the focus on buying low and just taking profits off and selling high or rebalancing.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: A book we haven't really touched on there, but uh, O'Shaughnessy, on, uh, yep. uh, a couple of decades ago now, but what works on Wall Street, and you know, simply what he found was, well, <laughs> pretty boring stuff, P.E. ratios, yep. price, Certain factors price to book, work, yeah. price to sales, yeah. a lot of things which get ignored at the peak of a cycle, Uh, It sounds boring in some ways, you know, the old fundamental, you know, looking at cheaper companies and cheaper sectors. Uh, But you'll find that stands you in much better stead uh, than trying to uh, uh, invest. In fact, um, as Siegel has shown, investing in growth itself can be a trap simply because you pay too much.
1: And And often is. And that was the thing O'Shaughnessy sort of looked at and said, what are the factors that are best for particular industries? But the point I want to make is you can actually only, you only need three or four things to look at and you'll do just as well as somebody who reads the Encyclopedia Britannica about oil or, you know, so again, signal and noise, you know, correlation of information. And Michael Malberson in um, The Success Equation talks about this and, t- you know, you you get a false sense of security because you think you know what you're talking about even I do, but you realise that simple models actually work and it's like, oh, okay, so I didn't really need to read 20 years of annual reports. All I needed to go was the sector's really cheap, this stock's really cheap or this industry's really cheap. Oh, okay, I'll buy some. Yeah, it's
0: a good case in point. The energy ETF goes from 60 to 20 and you think, well, probably worth a few dollars. And you think, well, there's got to be more to it than that. Well, not really, (laughs) you know, if if you're buying the top, you know, hundred or so companies, you know, and you, you're buying them for much cheaper than you could a couple of years ago, that's a really good starting point.
1: Yeah, there's a just one final point. There's a really good thing I read ages ago about what you find is you often look at a company and then find reasons to buy it, you know and then you oh, try we've to all work done that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you start you almost think right
0: i've, I've bought the stock now i'm going now to yeah, now go and do research
1: <laughs> the george soros method yeah. um but also what he was saying was what you really want to do is look at the expected return you know if it's got a high expected return well you should probably have a look from there rather than say i really like microsoft now i'm going to justify buying it and and when you think about it That idea of let's just look at the ones that have got a really high expected return, whether you use an enterprise value or, you know, a simple ratio, PE ratio, for example, what you're doing is you're actually decreasing your subjectivity, right? So you're getting closer to a sort of quantitative model that says, I don't know what this company does, but it looks really cheap. Oh, it's got low debt. Okay. This bit, that bit. All right. Okay that'll do me fine.
0: Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So what we've been talking about today uh, is industry models and um, an approach for investing in sectors on a rolling basis and simply uh, picking up investments in the cheapest sectors. You don't have to be a stock picker. You can just pick up the cheapest ETFs and when they're no longer cheap, uh, peel off the profits and move on to the next. So... Uh, Simple is better than complex. So thanks for joining today. Hope you enjoyed and look forward to seeing you next week. See you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers.